I'd like to already say a very warm welcome to everyone to today's policy seminar on groundwater potential and pitfalls for Africa. This is an official virtual UN 2023 water conference event and specifically focus, I think, on the continent with the greatest needs of water security. My name is Claudia Ringler, and I'm with the International Food Policy Research Institute, and I moderate today's event. Groundwater development is key to accelerating agricultural and overall economic growth, fight climate change, and generate employment in Africa. However, there is also a need to improve groundwater institutions to grow equity and environmental sustainability in groundwater use. This session starts off with a keynote on the importance of groundwater development for water and food security, with a focus on Ethiopia, and then discusses the African Minister Council on Water's groundwater program, provides information on groundwater potential, economic benefits from development, and on the importance of institutions. The presentations are followed by a panel discussion of experts on how sustainable groundwater action in Africa should look like and what the international community could do either directly or through the UN Water 2023 conference to make this a reality. While we discuss this, we are eager to hear from all of you. To participate in our Q&A session, please submit your questions on ifpre.org, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or by using the hashtag AskIFPRI on Twitter. Without further ado, I would now like to introduce His Excellency, Dr. Seleshi Bekeli, Ambassador of Ethiopia to the United States and former Minister of Water, Irrigation, and Energy of Ethiopia, among many other positions he has held. Dr. Bekele has more than 30 years of experience in leadership, research, training, teaching, and advisory roles on water, energy, and irrigation in Ethiopia and beyond. He has also worked with the United Nations in New York, where I once met him, and his remarks might also tell us what he expects to come out of this midterm review of the United Nations International Decade for Action on Water for Sustainable Development, also known as the UN 2023 Water Conference, that is happening in New York this week. Please welcome Dr. Seleshi, over to you. Thank you very much, Dr. Claudia Ringler, Excellencies, distinguished participants of this Zoom seminar. Good morning to all of you. I'm very happy to be amongst you, of the, especially the water community. So I'm trying to cover the importance of groundwater development for water and food security in Africa, highlighting some examples from here and there, but also largely focusing on what opportunities entail in uh, groundwater. Uh, Africa obviously has, uh, as the continent is very large, has diverse uh, hydrology, uh, climate, and geology. Uh, so as a result, the hydrogeology of Africa uh, is highly variable, means groundwater is also highly variable. 
at continental scale, uh, there are, you know, when they are summarized together, we see uh, four main types of hydrogeological environment or aquifer types. There are many studies around here uh, where we see volcanic aquifers uh, in mostly around the Rift Valley areas, uh, basement uh, aquifers uh, in the Central Africa, uh, and the consolidated sedimentary aquifers, uh, which uh, can be dominated by either fracture and intergranular uh, flow uh, of groundwater within under the surface of the earth uh, in many places actually, and also consolidated sed sedimentary aquifers. So the groundwater position in within the hydrological cycle. Uh, also the rainfall from place to place in terms of time and space, highly variable. Uh, mostly the, what goes into the renewable hydrology, groundwater hydrology is very limited. Uh, it's in the order of 5% uh, or so from the rainfall we are receiving. Uh, most then goes back to the atmosphere in the form of evapotranspiration and uh, some component about 12 to 15% in most places are surface water. So uh, this is uh, how we could see the overall hydrology. And as a result, the total volume of groundwater in Africa is uh, estimated to be 0.66 million cubic meter to uh, 1.75 million cubic meter. Some in fact put this number into the level of 3 million cubic meter. The groundwater recharge, therefore, uh, taking the whole volume of uh, water flow in the river systems, the recharge will be uh, more or less equivalent to the four main rivers of uh, Africa, like Congo, Nile, Niger, and Zambezi. But the advantage uh, of the groundwater is that it is distributed in, in many places, unlike concentrated flow in the surface water. In, in practical terms also, groundwater exploration, exploitation is possible from what you call spring water. Uh, that is a form of surface water, uh, usually sub supplementing base flow to many rivers, but its origin mostly is from the groundwater. Hand dug wells, where we see up to 20 meter uh, digging into the ground and discovering uh, some amount of water, uh, shallow wells up to 250 meters and deep wells greater than 250 meters. So when you look at in surface water and groundwater use in Africa, uh, Africa vast majority uh, of its water resource is used in agricultural uh, setup. That means for agricultural purpose, simply because agriculture uses water in a consumptive way manner, uh, then about 85% goes to that context. When you say agriculture, it's also, um, you know, rangeland, grassland uh, areas as well as also actual irrigation and uh, water consumption through uh, crops. Uh, another 10% of water is used in the household and the remaining 5% is used in uh, industry, so this is a general classification where the water goes uh, from what is available. So 
groundwater in general is a main source of water for drinking, cooking, and sanitation for most people in Africa, especially in the dry season. For both rural and uh, much of urban population, uh, the groundwater is uh, used. If you see the extent of usage, even main cities, for example, if you take Ethiopia, Addis Ababa, or uh, similar cities, secondary cities are utilizing groundwater mostly. Uh, the advantage you see from groundwater uh, generally refers to uh, it has many uh, advantage as a source of safe, sustainable water in Africa. Uh, it is particularly uh, suited to regions with large rural population where demand for water is, is dispersed across large areas. Uh, to build, most of Africans live, uh, we live in uh, rural and uh, dispersed manner. That means uh, bringing a water network in such kind of setting is difficult. Therefore, you have to exploit the water from uh, similarly distributed areas. Therefore, groundwater is uh, suited as most uh, protected uh, source of water for drinking. Uh, therefore, it has excellent natural water quality. Uh, groundwater usually has excellent natural water quality and uh, naturally more protected from contaminations and surface water. Uh, it provides large volume of natural water storage. Uh, seasonal varieties in amount or quality doesn't usually significant, particularly when you go to uh, shallow wells and the deep well uh, territory. Uh, groundwater also lends itself well to principles of community management. It can be developed incrementally. You can increase the number of boreholes uh, from time to time, depending on availability of resources and expand the usage and also increase the supply level for a particular community by adding uh, more wells. Uh, it can be developed around homestead and accessible for production of irrigated vegetables and nutritious food. That means it is especially relevant for uh, uh, household as well as uh, gender uh, or, or women focused uh, uh, production of nutritious food as well as means of income. Uh, the Africa water access in general is limited as you know, due to low investment. Uh, because we have a very low infrastructure for developing both surface and groundwater. Many remote uh, rural areas and small towns suffer from lack of access to basic water supply and sanitation facilities. In general, it's uh, mostly uh, the economic water is uh, highly limited uh, compared to the physical water availability. Physically, water is there, be it on running through the rivers as well as uh, groundwater. Uh, storage is there, but uh, accessing to those sources of water is very limited due to absence of economic water or developed infrastructure. For millions of small order farmers in Sub-Saharan Africa especially, access to sufficient water for agriculture is a big challenge, and access to groundwater is far more suitable for uh, smallholder farmers, so especially where uh, annual recharge is significant, where people could really dig under the wells as well as also uh, access shallow wells. Uh, it can be increased. The income of rural poor can be enhanced in Africa 
uh, improved access to low cost technology for pumps and drilling uh, services, as well as market opportunities for producers first gross, uh, gross the use. So when you say technology, technology that we use for, for sourcing, that means for uh, uh, accessing the groundwater, then we have to lift it. Uh, that means uh, the pump technology, uh, after lifting, it has been conveyed and then ultimately applied to have meaningful uh, agricultural production and productivity increment. So in recent years, for example, in Ethiopia, three years ago, uh, we uh, accessed over 10,000 uh, pumps and distributed to farmers. And the following year, uh, more or less the same amount, then it has really brought significant shift in terms of production and productivity, especially uh, when you take summer wheat. Uh, this year, uh, at least in 2020 production year, we have uh, managed to produce additional uh, 2.5 million metric ton of uh, summer wheat. Uh, and this year we expect to lift that to uh, 4 million metric ton. This is a very significant shift uh, almost uh, in this year, we are doubling up the amount of wheat production uh, in Ethiopia. It means uh, very significant to fight poverty as well as overcome challenges of uh, drought. And especially in, in, in years of this uh, difficulty due to Russia-Ukraine uh, war and the uh, inaccessibility of adequate wheat in the market, this is an important uh, solution that is, can be learned from Ethiopia. Okay, Dr. Seleshi, I, I know this, this is all excellent. I think you have touched on exactly all of the topics, the potential, the economic benefit, um, institutions that are needed, the potential also for engaging women in vegetable production, the possibility to address some of the adverse impacts of the war on Ukraine. This is all excellent. Before we move to, unfortunately, we have to move to our next speaker, but I wanted to just, you know, one word, the UN 2023 Water Conference. What would you, if you could, what it would be one thing you would like to get out of it for Ethiopia, for Africa? If you could just say one thing and then we'll move on. We're hoping for more investment, supporting African countries, actually, to yeah. create economic water. Thank you investment in in the for development of water for prosperity okay excellent thanks so much thanks Thank again you. for your remarks All right. um we understand you know if you could stay with us that's excellent i'm sure there will be questions but if you cannot that's also understood you have a very very busy job so thank you yeah thank, thank you, thank I, you. I, i'll listen to for a few minutes please okay Thank excellent you. so we'll now move to our next speaker I think he, you know, what he will present is really directly answering or, you know, linked to the remarks that we have heard from uh, from the ambassador. I'd like to introduce Dr. Moshut Tijani. So he is from the African Minister's Council on Water, and he's leading the uh, the, the UMCAO's groundwater development program. He's a senior policy officer with UMCAO and uh, is or was a professor of hydrogeology and environmental geology at the University of Ibadan in Nigeria. So welcome, uh, Dr. Mushut. Uh, if you could yeah, explain us a little bit how AMCAO's groundwater development program works, which is exactly one of those programs that hopefully can increase um, development on the continent. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Claudia. I hope this slide has been loaded. 
and my job is made easier. Uh, I thank you for the, uh, the organizer for this event. And uh, I must acknowledge the fact that the Excellency Ambassador of Ethiopia to the United Nations has done wonderfully well. Next slide, please. My topic is about African Groundwater Development Program for water security and resilience. So coming from the groundwork that the ambassador has just done in his keynote speech, he has given us the background, the statistics about the water in our groundwater in Africa, how important it is, the multiple use. And be as it may, we need to also mention the fact that apart from being the largest freshwater source in Africa, groundwater also provides 50% of the total population in sub-Saharan Africa with primary source of drinking water. Eight out of 10 people in the rural community, as the ambassador have just said, have access to water and safe wash through groundwater. Of course, a lot of informal urban setting are also increasingly depending on groundwater. Of course, we also have the fact that uh, increasing groundwater development will also impact on the food security in form of smallholder agriculture. Uh, from the AMCO perspective, what is our focus in terms of groundwater program? We have five thematic focus trying to develop policy, governance, and institutional strengthening for groundwater, knowledge sharing and cooperation and uh, uh, coordination. We also focus on groundwater management and resource assessment, what is key. We need to, to assess the resources before we can take of proper management. And then the next one is about awareness capacity building. Of course, the last one and the most important one, which the ambassador have just alluded to, is also building partnership in terms of finance and investment in groundwater. These are the five thematic areas that we are focusing on at AMCO. Next slide, please. Now, looking at that, next slide. Looking at that, we realized that the AMCO program started quite some time ago with the launch of the APA group in 2019 and formalizing the, the implementation during the African Water Congress in February 2020. So there are, this, this diagram is just showing the trajectory of the groundwater program in Africa and how we are up to the point that we launched the AMCO Pan-African Groundwater Program in 2020. And with this framework, our partners, BGR, IMI, IPRI, and all UNESCO, all stakeholders who have been working on African continent in terms of groundwater have assisted AMCO to, the, to move ahead the upper group. And the point we are now is facing the upper group into a new strategic groundwater program. And that is what we are trying to present today. Next slide, please. So, Middle of last year, there is a consultation regarding the new strategic program on groundwater. And this strategic program on groundwater for AMCO, the purpose is to strengthen policy and practice of groundwater and to improve life and livelihood of citizens in Africa. The objective is to provide means of implementation of groundwater strategic priority under AMCO strategic operational plan 2020-2024 and strategic operation of 2022. 2030. So within this framework, we realize that this strategic program is to align with global and continental initiative 
of African Water Vision, African Union Agenda, Selma Sheikh Declaration and Ingobnisiria Declaration. We have the Sustainable Development Goal. We have the AMCO Strategy also. Within this framework, this groundwater program is being developed. Next slide. And then the groundwater, next slide, please. The, this ground, new groundwater program, which we call Strategic Program on Groundwater, have two main components. And each component have two outcomes. So the first component is about aligning African development agenda to ensure socioeconomic benefit through sustainable groundwater development and management. And one of the outcome is to integrate water resources management into governance and conductive prioritize for the most vulnerable community. So of course, the second outcome is that groundwater is on the development agenda of Africa and AMCO member states with REC RBOs to enable to implement the groundwater strategy program. So there is that synergy while the REC, the RBO, and the member state will work together to implement the strategic groundwater program. And within this framework, we have the outcomes. There are different outcomes under each of them, but output under the different outcome. Number two, uh, next slide, please. So for, for this outcome component one, next slide, we have various strategic action or what we call activities that are listed here. Under each of the outcome, in terms of groundwater governance and development, we have a number of activities, about five of them. And if you move to the second outcome, which is about groundwater development agenda in member states, including RECs, we have a number of activities which are help, which, which are to help in implementing groundwater strategy program. For example, we develop communication and education material and program targeting the decision maker. We have to prepare best practice guideline for the member state. We undertake workshop, we do positioning of REC and RBO to support and inform member state. This synergy is part of the activities that we need to deliver under this new strategic program. Next slide, please. So within this, the second out uh, component is to create an enabling environment for the sustainable development. And within this also, there are two outcomes. The first outcome is about groundwater sustainability deployed to support social and economic development in member states. And then the, fourth, I mean, the second outcome will be effective institutional arrangement and regulation to promote sustainable development. Yeah, so within this framework, we can move to the next uh, slides, which also give us the output and strategic action for this. Next slide. So, next slide, please. So, these are the strategic action for the second output and second component. Next slide. Now, as entry point, how do we approach this? We have an African approach, regional approach, national approach, and subnational approach. And for AMCO role, what is our role? Our role is coordination. And within this coordination, we want to develop capacity. We want to also improve knowledge management. So we strengthen policy, institution, human capacity, groundwater management support too. And in terms of information sharing, we create knowledge and generate knowledge for groundwater. Next slide. Next slide. So as I said, within this framework, we. We realize that arising from the above, 
the groundwater strategic program is expected to focus on aquifer assessment to unlock groundwater potential and water security for social economic development in Africa. It's also helped to address the knowledge and capacity gap at national and regional level. And as I said, the collaboration and the partnership with the partners at various level, at subnational level, national level, and regional level involving REC and RBO are key. And with this, the coordination and collaboration with the development partners is also key. And with that, it is then we can achieve sustainable groundwater development for social economic development in Africa. With this, I say thank you for your attention. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Tijani. You know, this is a very comprehensive, very ambitious program. So I think definitely a lot, uh, yeah, I think a lot of needs. So in terms of UN 2023 Water Conference, I guess also support uh, to the implementation of this program is, is I think what is needed. I'd like to now uh, directly move uh, on to our next speaker, Dr. Ramon uh, Brentfuhrer. He's project manager on policy advice in the area of groundwater for BGR. It's a German federal institute for geosciences and natural resources. Uh, he has a background on geology. I think we have a lot of geologists <laughs> in this event, unsurprisingly, and integrated water resources management. And he will give us a bit more um, background and, and, and I guess gets in, into a bit more in depth on the biophysical um, uh, groundwater uh, water resources site. Over to you, uh, Dr. Ramon. Thank you, Claudia. Um, thank you much for very much for the introduction. Yeah, I will. Um, build on the narrative that has been um, yeah, uh, told already by Dr. Bekele and, and also Moshut Tijani. So we have, uh, and this is a narrative for the, the main uh, conference here in New York, is uh, the, the ground global water crisis. And uh, I agree on, on the global water crisis. Uh, we have massive over-abstraction in many parts of the, of the world, many, mostly in arid regions. But I, in this session here, I would like to um, to raise uh, the, the fact that we need a differentiated um, look on on the African continent because the situation here is distinctive different. And um, yeah, could you give me the next slide, please? And so, and uh, I don't need to talk that much about why we uh, should talk about groundwater many of these things were said already so um, we it's it's uh, drought resilience buffers fresh water for drought periods it's protected from evaporation pollution uh, it's nearly everywhere available not everywhere but nearly everywhere and uh, the investment in infrastructure is not that complicated if we talk about shallow aquifers and that's what we mainly do here on the african continent next slide and uh, yeah, one of the main advantages of groundwater is the drought resilience. And this is something uh, it was just recently experienced in the Horn of Africa, um, the droughts. Uh, and here is a timeline from the 1970s until today. And what we see here is, is, a, is a rising trend of affected people, but also in the number of droughts. And um, yeah, so I think the, the coming years, uh, there the need be answers how how to um, become more resilient for for the drought periods and events. Next slide. And uh, this slide here is, is um, 
a map on the fact uh, the regions which are affected. Um, we see here um, uh, in southern Africa is is affected by droughts. There is uh, the um, Sahel region and sub, uh, the south of the Sahel region is affected by droughts, and mostly the the Horn of Africa. And here's the region you see it's. Uh, Within the last 23 years, uh, it's uh, experienced eight droughts. Uh, that means every third year is a drought year. Next slide. And this map here shows uh, the exploitable recharge. And um, <clears throat> it's also interesting when you remember the last slide with uh, the uh, regions which, uh, which experience the droughts, that especially these regions seem to have some uh, significant recharge. Um, here in this region, uh, south of uh, in the Sahel region, but also Eastern Africa, it's uh, a recharge with, which is really um, has uh, is of significant interest for for social economic development. Uh, next slide, please. And uh, if we calculate it on on the national scale, the the water which is uh, which which is available, which is renewed annually. And uh, calculated um, by the needs and the demand, which is currently uh, the countries are currently using, and even if we project it uh, for um, a daily use of 120 liters per capita, we would uh, see that um, if we um, take the looks on uh, the, the South uh, Africa and Sub-Sahara African region, um, except of the, the MENA countries that each country in that region would use less than 25%, most countries even not 10% of the renewable water resources. Uh, next slide, please. So that means um, we have not really a resources problem on the, uh, on the African continent. This is made, uh, maybe really different to many any other uh, arid regions. In this region, we have more a uh, problem of excess of the water resources and the excess is uh, in some regions quite uh, difficult if we have uh, deep aquifer systems as we have maybe in namibia uh, but also in, in the sahara region and uh, senegal uh, gambia there is a deep aquifer system but uh, beside of these systems uh, especially in the regions where the droughts were experienced we see that uh, most water resources and groundwater resources are uh, in the depth less of 20 meters, mostly uh, even less than 10 meters. That means they are quite easy accessible. Next slide, please. And um, this is more surprising when we see at the current uh, numbers of, of groundwater use, especially for uh, food production. So, um, the droughts are that much uh, impacting on, on the agriculture on the African continent because uh, it's just 3% uh, of the, the agricultural land are currently irrigated. And we, uh, if we have a look on the share of this 3%, we see that just 5% of that water is from groundwater. That means there's a really huge potential for irrigation with, uh, with groundwater in, in, this, uh, in this area. Next slide, please. And here's a work from Ivan Alchenko. He was uh, working for IFMI for a couple of years and he calculated uh, the area would, which could be additionally irrigated by groundwater. And uh, each cell here is, is uh, 25 acres. And you see that mostly the color is uh, 
uh, around green in the in Eastern Africa, but also in the uh, Sahel or sub-Sahel region. That means there uh, could be two acres uh, additionally irrigated uh, in a cell of 25 acres. Next slide, please. So and, um, we see there is, uh, I think it's very impressive that, uh, that there is a high potential of using more water sustainably. And uh, But we, uh, we definitely have to talk also about sustainability risks. Uh, but also in that case, we need to differentiate uh, very much because uh, it depends very much on the local situation. If we have um, um, we have a high risk, for example, if we have low recharge, as in in the Sahara region or in, in arid regions, if we have a, um, we have a large groundwater body, then the risk is higher than in a, in a small one because we can over abstract over decades. And if the well productivity is high, then we can pump a lot of water out of one well. But the situation in many, many parts of Africa is completely opposite. We have, uh, in most cases, in many cases, we have a good recharge. We have small groundwater bodies, which uh, last maybe for, for, for a season or a couple of seasons. And the productivity of the wells is, uh, especially on, in the hard rock aquifers, which covers maybe more than 30% of the African continent, there's a very low productivity, which gives up uh, of water, but not that much. Um, and last slide. Um, yeah. So um, this is uh, already the end of my presentation. Um, so we have seen that there is uh, quite huge potential. We have some risk, but I think um, we have to see. I think in some cases we might manage them. Um, uh, it's always uh, we need differentiated uh, perspectives and looks on different areas. Um, to, depends on the uh, geological setting and and uh, hydrogeology, but also on socioeconomic situations and uh, institutional setting. So there is many many uh, potential for socio socioeconomic development that has to be just to be unlocked and. Uh, yeah. I hope uh, we see more of it within the next presentation. Thank you very much for listening. And yeah, thank you, Ramon. I mean, this is definitely a direct uh, link into our next presentation that will be given by uh, Dr. Anga Pradesha. Um, he has a background on economy-wide modeling um, with, I think, case studies and and uh, experience in a both Asia and Africa. And he has an interest in understanding how biophysical resources such as water can constrain or enable uh, prosperity and livelihoods. So over to you, Anga, uh, on the economic potential of groundwater development. Thank you. Great, thanks. Thanks, Claudia. Um, all right. OK, um, good morning, good evening. Um, everyone, uh, thank you for joining the meeting today. Uh, my name is Anga Pradesha. I'm a senior, uh, senior scientist uh, at IFPRI. Today, I'm happy to share with you our research work on assessing the economy-wide benefit of accelerating groundwater development in Senegal and Uganda. Next slide, please. So just as a background and also to reiterate what Ramon has shared with us, you can see uh, in the left diagram there, the pie chart shows the global freshwater supply is dominated by groundwater, uh, while surface water only accounts for only 3% of total water supply. 
However, when you look at the next diagram in the middle, which is total water demand across different sectors, first, it's obvious that the highest demand comes from a culture sector, but the proportion of groundwater in supplying water to this sector is significantly less than what the surface water provides. And this is the resource gap that we're trying to explore, where we think that groundwater still has huge potential to provide more water to the economy. And the next diagram on the far right shows that even in middle and low income countries, the water is used in a culture sector. And this is the main uh, focus sector in our study. Next slide, please. Okay, now when we look at the potential of groundwater in our two country studies, uh, we only limit ourselves to explore the potential of renewable groundwater in order to make sure that the new groundwater uh, development or extraction is sustainable in the long run. Uh, on the left panel there, you can compare total water use in the country and how much renewable groundwater is available to be extracted and also how much current groundwater withdrawal is. And it's obvious that there's still gap between the groundwater potential and the utilization level. And this is the gap that we want to minimize in our study so that the country can benefit from these new renewable resources. Um, given most water access in the country is used for ag sector, uh, we can see on the right panel there what will be the potential of increasing water supply that could boost ag production and potentially improve the lives of the poor who are mainly engaged in agriculture sector. Next slide. So how we approach this problem? Uh, we use this water economy model by linking water allocation model with economy-wide modeling approach in order to understand how this new water supply from groundwater affects economic activities not only in ag sector, but also in non-agriculture sector. In this way, we can measure the impact on total GDP, uh, as well as employment across different sectors. So this modeling framework also allow us to capture the distributional effect of the shock across different households by linking it with household survey data uh, through running micro simulation analysis in order to measure impact on poverty and hunger. We run the model using 2019 as the base year data and project the economy up to 2030 following recent economic trend uh, as shown in the diagram on the right panel there. Uh, in terms of simulation design, what we did was to allow groundwater abstraction up to its maximum renewable potential or until the groundwater share reached 50% of total water supply. Next slide. So when we look at regional potential within each country in uh, Senegal and Uganda, you can see on the left panel there, uh, in Senegal, we have only three out of four regions available for new groundwater development. But in Uganda, all four regions still have very high renewable groundwater potential. So in the case of Senegal, uh, under high acceleration scenarios, we increase groundwater abstraction in each potential regions up to its maximum level. Uh, while in the medium scenarios, uh, we only increase uh, around half of that potential level. So in total, uh, this new groundwater abstraction uh, in Senegal could increase groundwater share up to 20% of total fresh water in the country. Uh, but in the case of Uganda, as shown on the, on the right panel, there's no much limit on the potential of renewable groundwater, so we can extract uh, uh, the uh, we can in, uh, extract the groundwater until the groundwater shares uh, in, uh, increase up to 50% of total freshwater supply. Next slide. All right, this is the uh, simulation result uh, uh, where this slide slows the impact of groundwater development on macroeconomic variables uh, by comparing simulation scenario result in 2030 with 2030 baseline value. You can see in both countries, a culture GDP increased the most because this is the sector uh, received the highest allocation of the new groundwater supply. 
we also consider spillover effect on non-ag sector, uh, but the overall impact on total GDP range between one to 3%. The employment also increased across sectors, but interestingly, it generates more employment in non-ag sector for Senegal, while in Uganda, most new jobs are generated in ag sector. Uh, there are two uh, main reasons. The first one is basically because most people in Uganda are still working in a color sector, while in Senegal, there are more people working in non-ag sector. The second reason is because how the water is distributed in the country. In the case of Senegal, the water is used across different crops, including livestock, uh, with broader, uh, that, that create broader value chains to off-farm sector. But in the case of Uganda, most water are concentrated in livestock sector, uh, with off-farm sector only limited to dairy or meat processing industry. Next slide. All right, so um, obviously with increase in income, you know, many people could achieve better standard of living, where in 2030, we would have less number of poor people, less number of undernourished or hunger people. Um, and with more water supply, of course, the country also able to provide more people with clean water. Um, next slide, please. All right, just to uh, conclude, uh, we observe that the renewable groundwater potential is considerable in both countries, particularly in Uganda. And if we've shown in our research that if groundwater development uh, would be expanded to the level of renewable recharge, both countries could gain significant economic benefits by generating billions of new jobs and increasing GDP. We also shown that it could also improve people's standard of living by reducing poverty and hunger, as well as providing uh, millions of people with clean water. However, as we know, uh, development requires commitment from both private and public sector uh, by providing consistent and stable investment. And most importantly, uh, I think next presentation will talk more about it. This groundwater institution are, are key to make sure groundwater development only focus on renewable potential in order to avoid overextraction that leads to long-term depletion. Uh, that's all for me. Thank you, Claudia, back to Excellent. you. Yes, excellent, Anga. Um, I saw 1.1 million people might be able to to uh, leave poverty you now through through just more aggressive but still very sustainable groundwater development in the in the two countries. That's really excellent news. And I'd like to now move over yet to our uh, last presenter, Hagar Aldidi, also with the International Food Policy Research Institute. Uh, her research interests are in equitable and sustainable. Communal governance of natural resources, environmental justice, rural development, and food security of vulnerable communities. And she's going to finally talk about these groundwater institutions and governance, a topic we have heard throughout all of the prior presentations. And now we'll go a little bit in more in depth. Thank you, Hagar. Over to you. Thank you, Claudia. Hello, everyone. Um, so thank you very much. Uh, I'll be talking about the uh, groundwater governance toolbox and uh, especially for, for governance and to increase the sustainability of groundwater use in Africa. Next slide, please. So like other common pool resources, uh, we saw some of the groundwater challenges include 
having high subtractibility. So one person's use will reduce the use for others and also low excludability. But particularly, there's also low visibility. Uh, so it's difficult to identify the aquifer boundaries, the depth, the resource dynamics are also complex. And since the declines are not really directly visible and many users are sharing the aquifer without really realizing their interconnectedness. Um, and as you heard, the use of groundwater for irrigation by small-scale farmers particularly has been recently recently picking up in many parts of sub-Saharan Africa. And it's now being expanded and even promoted because of course of the vast, vast benefits to livelihoods. Um, but there are also no regulations or real government frameworks, institutions to manage the, such groundwater. Um, and because this groundwater irrigation is now newly expanding, it's presenting us with a really good opportunity to improve farmers' understanding of how they, through their own collective action, can prevent groundwater depletion in the future uh, before reaching clearly visible or alarming levels as in other regions. And so equipped with the right information and tools, um, communities can effectively and sustainably use and govern groundwater. Next, please. Um, so there are many types of institutional tools out there that would be suitable for groundwater governance potentially, including information-based types such as uh, data on water requirements, weather, uh, extension trainings, etc. Uh, regulation types such as spacing of wells, licensing, irrigation schedules, having quotas, such. Uh, also procedural tools. And these include things like uh, experiential learning games, uh, multi-stakeholder dialogues, participatory modeling, etc. And other, other types like financial, including fees, tariffs, incentives for using solar, payments for environmental services, and finally organizational, including things like water user associations, forums and networks and such. And we want to focus on the procedural tools for social learning um, and later also combine it with other types. And also rather importantly, rather than using a top-down imposition and even like the teaching of communities, we saw that social and experiential learning, which is learning by doing really, um, where communities eventually come up with their own solutions collectively is often better sustained within communities. Next slide, please. Um, so over the course of several projects, we have engaged with and tested various of these procedural tools, and many of them with our partner in India, Foundation for Ecological Security. Uh, so one of the tools is behavioral games, which are framed field experiments. Um, they are typically involving a social dilemma. They're useful for identifying uh, behavioral patterns around natural resources and for also shaping the mental models on resource governance. Uh, they can also simulate long-term uh, use and effects on resources in a very short time, and then look at the effectiveness of institutional arrangements. And part of this package also includes a debriefing discussion where all the communities invited to reflect on their situation, the resource situation. Uh, another activity uh, is stakeholder workshops to get the different stakeholders on the different levels within a region or a sub-basin to align their visions on groundwater governance. Um, FES also developed uh, a crop water budgeting tool and later developed that into an app and dashboard to assist the communities with proper management of water resources and choosing the right crops, but in a very participatory way. 
um, and the Composite Land Assessment and Restoration Tool, or CLART, was also another tool that FES has also developed with communities to help them in planning and restoration based on their land types. And then because of these different tools may be more suitable or effective in some or other pla in some places more than others, um, with our partners, we've developed a suitability tool for identif identifying what would work in each context realizing that it's uh, not a blanket solution. Next slide, please. So I would like to dive deeper into one of these examples. So the groundwater games. Uh, the, the game itself is a crop choice game, which was first piloted in India and then in Ethiopia and Ghana, uh, where players are choosing between either irrigating a crop A, which is a water saving crop that yields less income, but then, and the crop B on the other side, which is higher demanding for water, but yields higher income. So the individual choices then have a collective effect on the groundwater level over the years, which is represented by game rounds. And there are different treatments in the game, like communication, without communication, uh, with adding some rules. And the game is also adapted to context. So in, for example, in, in parts of Ghana and Keta, we adjusted the game to work for their context of salinity. And after the game, there's a community debriefing meeting where all the players and non-players discuss how this is relating to their own challenges and talk about insights gained from the experience. And we had some earlier research on the game intervention uh, effects on, on community collective action for groundwater governance in India. And then more recently in Africa, research more about the learning side of this to see the immediate learning effect on the game uh, uh, participants and also comparing their perceptions uh, as well as the medium term learning effect on the whole community. Next slide, please. So just a few results, villages where the games were played in India before were significantly more likely to adopt rules related to groundwater governance, which was very promising. And then from the Ethiopia games and ongoing analysis of the Ghana games, we can see significant learning effects. So after the game, there was a visible shift in mental models of players around the understanding that the shared nature of, just the shared nature of groundwater, uh, that it's actually a depletable resource and the, also the importance of communication, collective action and, and rules for governance. And these learnings were sustained six months later. Also, there were some community discussions about how to manage groundwater collectively that was taking place, but there was not yet some definitive action in, in terms of rules. Next slide, please. Uh, some of the lessons of uh, for implementation that we learned, one was that the post-game discussion uh, is really crucial for the community-wide learning and the spillover effects to the whole community. Um, refreshers and repeated engagement with communities was also needed to sustain the retention of lessons and also for the community to come together and agree on rules for groundwater is more of a longer term process that really needs more engagement. Next slide, please. And finally, for implementation and also for scaling of such tools, scaling up, we learned that packaging the various tools into a toolbox of sorts uh, increases their effectiveness. So a good example is FES who uses these tools such as crop water budgeting as a follow-up to the games and as part of a longer term engagement. And this increases the receptiveness of other planning tools. And another way to complement this is through monitoring of groundwater changes to see the longer term effect on the resource 
adapting the games also into various contexts increases their depth of uh, breadth of relevance. So example, in Ghana, the game had to be adapted to salinity, otherwise it was not useful or relevant for the local farmers. And finally, the strategies for scaling up different tools from rather than piloting. So with FES, we have been working on a project uh, scaling this up to more than uh, 1,500 communities with the games. And this involves things like influencing government programs and NGOs to scale up, making use of technologies and apps to facilitate, and also partnering with other organizations and training of trainers on these tools. And finally, working with those non-traditional and, and traditional stakeholders. So for example, creating economic incentives and market for uh, water saving crops. Thank you very much. Next slide. And that is where there are some resources. Thank you. Back to you, Claudia. Yeah, thanks so much, Hagar. You know, the, the opportunities, the options, challenges. Um, you know, I think this, this gave us a real great insight on what can be done and what needs to be done on the institutional side of groundwater development. And I hope, I assume, you know, that UMCAO, with its overall plan to develop groundwater resources sustainably, will bring all of these findings and, and um, experiences and tools into this program and uh, Nexus Gains, IFPRI and other partners, of course, would be happy to support that. Um, so I hope we'll also get some questions on that, maybe hear from other experiences from our audience on how groundwater can be managed sustainably. And I'd like now to turn to our um, esteemed panel. They will discuss what they have heard and hopefully also tell us a bit of what they think uh, should come out of the UN Water Conference, what they'd like to see to come out from there. Uh, we have four esteemed panelists, uh, Julius Aheba uh, comes from Uganda. So we have panelists that reflect on the economic benefit uh, values for from Uganda and Senegal. So Julius again is a water officer at the Ministry of Water and Environment um, in Uganda. And we have Neokor Ndur. He's the Director of Water Resources Management and Planning at the Ministry of Water and Sanitation from Senegal. We also have uh, Dr. Mori Agbon Lahore. He's the Agricultural Production and Marketing Officer with the African Union Commission and in charge uh, of supporting the irrigation framework of, uh, of the Africa Union. Um, and, and its implementation across the continent. And finally, we have Ruth Meinzendick. She needs no introduction. She is also with the International Food Policy Research Institute and focused on irrigation institutions and gender at the Institute and yeah, has long-term experience of working on sustainable ground and surface water management in Africa. And I I'd like all of our uh, panelists now to go on camera. Um, and I'd like to then start with uh, Dr. Julius Aheba to, to give us maybe an example on uh, how groundwater is being sustainably developed in Uganda, um, if he can do so, or alternatively, or additionally, also tell us what he would like to get out of the UN Water Conference that is happening this week. So uh, Dr. Aheba, Julius, if you are, here, please, uh, over to you. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Claudia. And I greet everyone here on this platform. I uh, thank you so much. Yeah, I hope I'm um, audible enough. Okay. Yeah, uh, concerning the question that uh, 
has been posed. Uh, how can we sustainably uh, accelerate groundwater development in the country? Or how are we uh, doing groundwater development in Uganda? And uh, also a takeoff on the UN Water Conference. Uh, in Uganda, groundwater is uh, very important. And uh, uh, when I talk about Uganda, of course, I'm talking about the whole of Africa uh, because conditions are nearly the same. And uh, groundwater has been playing a very, very big role uh, in the development of Uganda because it's providing uh, water for a number of, uh, uh, to a number of sectors agriculture, industry, domestic. But among this, I think uh, domestic supply has been uh, the highest uh, demand for groundwater, especially in uh, rural areas. Uh, it's unfortunate that, uh, uh, however, groundwater is much important like that. Uh, we've been doing groundwater uh, with very little understanding. We've been developing it with very little understanding, a little knowledge on the aquifers, so I can say we are getting something out of it, but uh, we, are not at, we are not getting the best because of little understanding. And uh, I have to say that uh, when we increase understanding of groundwater in the country, the potential, I think we are likely to get much more a benefit out of it. And uh, based on that, I think, uh, Investing in understanding of groundwater of the country will also will play a big role in helping us actually gain the maximum benefit. Uh, one of the factors I can say which is accelerating groundwater currently in Uganda is uh, adoption of uh, uh, irrigation fed agriculture, where the main uh, emphasis is being put on uh, use of groundwater resources. The reason is that uh, groundwater uh, resources are reliable, especially in this context of climate change. As uh, climate resilient, it can provide water uh, to argument at the rain-fed agriculture, which is becoming very uh, complicated in the country due to climate change. So uh, if we invest in uh, uh, research and uh, innovation in groundwater development, uh, we go ahead and uh, put knowledge together. Uh, we shall be able to accelerate groundwater in the country. And uh, the main area actually is uh, irrigation agriculture. The fact is that uh, Uganda, like any other African countries, uh, mainly depending on agriculture. So boosting uh, agriculture in the country, are like boosting the economy of the country, but at the same time, you're accelerating the use of groundwater in the country. And uh, uh, concerning a takeoff at uh, the UN Water Conference for this year, 2023, I think I've been looking at uh, the SDGs, uh, almost all the goals, uh, SDGs that make up the SDGs, they are all mainly revolving on uh, provision of uh, water. So I think there is need to put focus uh, on developing water. And I'm saying uh, research and innovation, knowledge sharing, uh, creating that enabling environment where we can share knowledge in research and innovations uh, should be a takeoff, uh, a takeoff uh, from this UN Water Conference. 
because when you analyze some countries ahead, some countries are very far as regards water and sanitation. But if we came together, we share knowledge, innovations, I think we can all move at the same footing. Thank you so much. Great. Yeah. Okay. Great. Great. Uh call request for the UN Water 2023 conference, better enabling frameworks and for knowledge sharing. Uh, because as you said, you know, Uganda is moving ahead blindly and <laughs> developing groundwater. Um, there's obviously large potential, but it really requires sharing of knowledge, development of knowledge. Thank you. I'd like to move now over to uh, Dr. Murray Agbon Lahore. Uh, with his portfolio of being in charge of the irrigation framework for Africa. Do you have an example of, you know, very potential of sustainable groundwater development anywhere in Africa? And again, what do you, what would you like to see out of the um, UN 2023 Water Conference? What's your request? Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you very much, Claudia. Thank you, uh, Excellency. Uh, and colleagues that are joining us online. Uh, I think uh, it's a very important policy discourse. Uh, we're looking at groundwater issue. I, I also think that uh, the previous speakers and uh, even the lead, the lead intervention has actually talked on the huge potential that exists in groundwater and uh, also putting uh, values to it also makes it look uh, helpful in planning. Uh, in terms of uh, the importance of groundwater, that cannot be overemphasized uh, all across the continent. I, I will really say that uh, the whole idea of periurban agriculture, the growth of periurban agriculture in the continent has been hinged mainly on groundwater uh, use. And uh, having started the issue of uh, the huge potential and the variability in, in the supply, uh, it calls for a need to really see how we can manage the uh, groundwater sustainably. And I think the previous uh, speakers also have also addressed this. Uh, from the continent point of view, uh, uh, the examples that I can give, uh, I'll give the example of Morocco, what Morocco is doing with groundwater use actually as it relates to agricultural production. Then also uh, the use of, uh, Ethiopia also doing a lot on uh, the use of uh, groundwater in, uh, in the summer wheat production. These are good examples and uh, they've targeted, the, the beauty of this is that they targeted high value crops and uh, also there are components of sustainability that are, are built into utilization of groundwater. These are good models that should be replicated in the continent. But uh, as far as groundwater uh, uh, use is, is, is concerned in the continent, at the African Union level, we stress mainly on uh, the policy support and uh, building institutional capacity to really ensure that uh, groundwater is used sustainably. Uh, we, we don't want the good is a huge resources. Uh, it, it will not be it will not be gold to to uh, to exploit to unsustainable limits. So there's the need to really uh, build that policy support in it. Uh, the policy is key in this. There's policy in terms of management, policy in terms of utilization, policy in terms of metric. I've also seen uh, issues of governance that are should be brought into 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 uh, concept in in, in groundwater uh, use. Uh, the the whole idea about uh, re building resilient food system. 
you understand, in the continent which Africa, you know, is pushing, also boils on use of uh, groundwater, you understand, because irrigation is key uh, all over the continent. I, I was surprised when I saw the presentation of uh, Ramon uh, that in sub-Saharan Africa, and you have 3% uh, uh, irrigated land. I don't know. I think that is uh, <laughs> that is lower than what we expect. I, I believe that that one has not taken into consideration the farmer-led irrigation. They are mainly last-case scheme. So, but, but I think uh, these, these are the issues. And going beyond this, uh, uh, the, what I would expect from the from the UN conference, uh, we should go beyond rhetoric. We should go beyond declarations. We should go beyond uh, just. Uh, I think we should go. We should go into actions. I think that is what the the ambassador also stressed on. Uh, we should go beyond rhetoric. We should go beyond uh, commitments and declarations. Let's let's see action. Let's see investment taking place in the continent. I thank you. Okay, yeah, excellent points go into action. I also liked your comment on the 3% uh, irrigated. I, I had the same thought when I saw Ramon's presentation, but this is from an official UN report published in 2022. So, which gets us back to uh, our Uganda participant comment, we need more knowledge sharing. So knowledge is not shared from south to north, because in the south we know that there is a lot of farmer-led irrigation development. And we need more knowledge shared from north to south. So this exchange is clearly not yet happening um, to the extent needed. And I really like also your call for action. Before we come to our third panelist, uh, Dr. Rosmeinsendick, I'd like to just remind everyone, this is pretty much the last chance to uh, share your questions. We've already received a substantial number, but if you'd like to share your questions still, please do so on ifpre.org, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube or by using the hashtag AskIfPri on Twitter. Uh, we'll come to the Q&A portion of this event shortly. So now over to, to uh, Bruce Meinzendick. Yeah, what's your take on sustainability, you know, an example of sustainable groundwater development or what would you want uh, the UN Water Conference, what would you want to be different after this, the conference this week? Thank you. You were muted. No, oh, sorry, we cannot hear you, um, unfortunately. So try one more time. If not, we'll start to answer some questions first. You're shown as muted. Okay. That's okay, we still cannot hear you. So we will start uh, with Q&A and as soon as your audio situation improves, we will get back to you. But at this point, you're shown as muted on my screen. Um, so yeah, let's please then everyone, all of our presenters and all of our panelists, please come uh, on, you know, on screen, show your videos. And I'll start you know, with, with a couple uh, of detailed questions from our audience. And as, once we get Ruth's uh, audio resolved, we'll of course bring her in um, as well. So uh, there was a very specific question uh, on Hagar Aldidi's presentation. Um, she mentioned that, um, that the groundwater intervention, the experimental learning um, intervention had to be adjusted for salinity. Hagar, can you maybe explain to us yeah, why this was needed in the Ghanaian context? I guess people usually 
think about salinity more, you know, in, in this huge irrigation systems of Egypt or Pakistan. So why was this also needed in Ghana? Please, Hagar, yeah. over to you. Thank you. Yes. Uh, so actually, we um, we had two different sites uh, where we piloted the games in Ghana. So one was Upper East Region. And in Upper East Region, we played the game the same way as I presented. So it was a crop choice game um, to kind of incentivize use for, of water saving crops uh, for like the collective benefit or like for future sustainability. But uh, the other um, region that we piloted the games in was the Keta Basin, which is on the coast. So uh, it's a very particular context and the community that's farming in this area on a very thin strip of land um, are, of course, they're in a lagoon and so there's a lot of saltwater intrusion uh, happening. So as soon as they extract just a bit more than their usual amount, then they run into salinity issues. And that, of course, leads to productivity issues as well. So just playing a regular crop choice game was not going to be very useful or, or um, be relevant to their context. So we adjusted it so that the choices had to do with, uh, with farm size and like amount of water extraction that will then lead to salinity and a reduced uh, income eventually for the farmer, depending on their choice. Okay, okay, very good, very clear. So we have one question that I think almost everyone can answer, <laughs> and then one that's a bit more challenging. Let's do the easy one first. Um, it's from Michael Nkuba, and he wants to know <clears throat> how reliable is the data that was used uh, in the country studies for policy analysis? So the groundwater data, Uganda, Senegal, Ghana, um, yeah, who would like to start telling us about the reliability? And of course, we also have Ramon, you know, who's uh, focusing on groundwater development across the continent and Mojoud. I mean, anyone can answer. Who wants to start? Mojoud, maybe? You want to tell us how reliable our groundwater data are in Africa? Please. Yeah, thank you, uh, Claudia. I think uh, it depends on country. And we cannot say that we are there yet. I think there's still a lot of challenges in terms of data collection and data management. And that is key. And this is part of why knowledge management and knowledge sharing, we take it to be very important in AMCO. How do we harmonize our knowledge? How do we standardize the knowledge in terms of based on the data that we, we have? Without a harmonized data, without a standardized data, it's difficult to create knowledge and information from those data. And that is why, for me, in many African countries, depending on where you are, I think there are relatively different levels of uh, data availability in terms of, of the quantity, and then also in terms of the quality. When you talk of groundwater level monitoring, I think uh, snapshot monitoring is available in many countries, but whether we have a kind of regular monitoring that will be online and then you can have that. So in terms of groundwater, I think it's still limited. For surface water, because of the disaster risk, early warning system, I think some level of data are available. But in case of groundwater, I think we are still very, very far away in terms of adequate, uh, sufficient data in terms of quality and in terms of quantity when it comes to groundwater. So 
Okay. I mean, in many countries, the even the, the assessment of the groundwater itself has not been properly known. So where you cannot even quantify what you have, how do you manage it? So I think data is the key. And that is why we take that as one of the points of reference in AMCO. Thank you. Okay, excellent. There was actually a follow-on question from Michael in Cuba, and I guess I'll answer that to Ramon. As I said, we have so many groundwater geologists here. Um, climate change. How do the, the following question also from Michael is how is climate change incorporated into the current groundwater knowledge uh, in Africa? And I know Mujud could answer it too, but I'd like to hear Ramon's point on that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> first, I would also like to add uh, to, to Mujud's uh, um, words uh, that the, the knowledge on the renewable groundwater, I think this could be quite well uh, estimated because we know what what comes down from from uh, from precipitation what uh, is uh, annual we, we get uh, on new resources so i think this knowledge is 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 uh, pretty much well known it's maybe lesser known how much how big is the storage room in the underground for uh, climate change i mean this is a projection this is assumptions and uh, what we can do is we we learn from from the past um, as we have seen from the darts, for, for example, um, we have seen the last 20, 30 years, the trend <laughs> is rising. And uh, so there is a, is a um, great risk um, that the trend will even still rise in next years. And uh, also from, uh, from climate change uh, models, we see that uh, the the situation is is uh, is increasing in some regions we will have more droughts maybe more evaporation in other regions more precipitation so i think the the trends are um that, that weather extremes will increase this is and there is more energy within the atmosphere so um because uh, it's heating and then uh, so so extremes will will become more often more uh, severe i think Okay, yeah, very good. And now just from the ground, Julius, is your is your data reliable? <laughs> Uganda, Uganda's groundwater um, knowledge system, data system. Would you say it's good enough to provide policy advice? Of course, you know, as we know, development is moving ahead, but uh, what, what do you think? If you could just give us a very short intervention here on that. Yes. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Claudia. I think the aspect of data has been a challenge always, but uh, it has not stopped us from uh, going ahead uh, to do what we can afford with the available data. We've had the same challenges even in the research we've been doing, but there are always ways we can come out, of course, uh, we may, we may not have the perfect uh, thing at the end of it, but uh, we've come out with something and that can be the beginning. And uh, what I can say, Uganda has embarked on uh, a number of programs that are aimed at collecting data. For example, right now we have uh, a study which is running that is mainly focusing on groundwater, understanding of the national groundwater resources in the country. And through that exercise, we are collecting data. Uh, it's a challenge right now, but there is a strategy to overcome it. And the data we have now, yes, can present something good enough as a starting point. Thank you so much. Okay, 
Okay, great. And we do have Ruth Meinsendick now uh, on, on good audio. And so we'd like to get back to her, you know, to tell us example of sustainable groundwater development in Africa or what she thinks the UN Water 2023 conference should focus on. Ruth, over to you. Thank you. Am I audible now? Yeah, okay. Um, so what I would like to see the conference establishing is the importance of governance, at least as prominently as technical or financial interventions, which are also needed. And I think AMCAL places, a, sets a good example in how governance is placed so prominently. What do we mean by governance? UNDP calls it, it comprises mechanisms, processes, and institutions through which citizens and groups articulate their interests, exercise their legal rights, meet their obligations, mediate their differences. So it's more than just governments. Governance is, uh, water is not only necessary, but it's very complex, as Hagar has mentioned. And in places where there's no tradition of groundwater use, there are no traditional institutions to govern it. That also doesn't mean there's a blank slate and that all we have to do is identify the ideal institutions and create them. There needs to be this collaborative process between communities, governments, and technical experts and tools. Overextraction of groundwater leading to falling water tables is a serious problem in many areas and is occurring in parts of Africa, especially on a localized scale. I grew up in India as the water tables were falling from pumping uh, more than recharge levels at a local area. So I know the problems that causes as you get to this race to the bottom. And Hagar again showed some um, things that can be done. But even where you don't have dramatic falling water tables, governance of groundwater is still important. For example, uh, my first study in Zimbabwe was a, a comparative irrigation system performance. The type that performed the best were actually on these bonny wetlands, informal systems where farmers built raised beds and small ditches raising diverse vegetables, high value, and coordinating among themselves. Very efficient uh, technically, but if anyone would put in a pump, it would draw down the water table below the crop root zone and ruin the whole system. And when you have programs to subsidize or encourage groundwater, there are governance issues in who will get the benefits. Will it be the wealthier farmers or even outsiders who get the first mover advantage? Will women have equal or even greater opportunities to tap this resource? And when you have watershed management systems creating recharge like Ethiopia's um, uh, large scale watershed uh, restoration under public works, there are important governance issues on where those investments will be made, who will benefit, and who will maintain them after the public works program that built them move on. So there are no panaceas that are going to work everywhere, but there are promising approaches. What's important is that we're looking at governance issues as the groundwater use develops rather than as an afterthought and that we bring together the technical and institutional expertise to address this as we are so well in this session. Thank you. 
Excellent. And in fact, you already answered a question uh, also by Richard Taylor, and he wanted to know how, you know, groundwater use in Africa's trilands can learn from trilands elsewhere in the world. And I think your example from India uh, perfectly fits there. And now we have two more. Actually, they shouldn't be difficult, but they seem to always be difficult questions. Um, the, the first one is from Shakundala Tilstead. So she would like to know how all this sustainable groundwater development supports nutrition, diverse diets. So are these groundwater development plans, do they feed into uh, food-based dietary guidelines, international nutrition strategies, into food security strategies? So we'll look for one or two people to answer that question. And the other one is, are women in agriculture able to access water the same as men? So do women get as much access to groundwater as men do? That's a question from Lydia. And again, I guess the question in all of these water development strategies, groundwater exploitation strategies, how is equity and gender, how are they being considered? So we have these two questions. Groundwater is a means to an end. And to what extent are the ends considered uh, when we talk about the means? So who would like to take, take those? You could maybe just uh, you know raise a hand or um, before okay Mure please over to you. Thank you, thank you, Claudia. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. On the link between uh, groundwater abstraction or irrigation and uh, the nutritional issue, uh, you know, in my presentation, I actually said that uh, the whole idea about peri-urban agriculture is is supported by groundwater abstraction. Yes, and if you look at the what is grown in peri-urban agriculture, there are mainly high-value vegetable crops, you know, and that goes to feed to boost the nutritional security of, of uh, most of the urban uh, households. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, you, we cannot separate groundwater use from uh, irrigation, especially peri-urban irrigation where high-value crops are grown. So that really fits into it. I, I already say if you are supporting groundwater abstraction for irrigation, you are also in another way building a nutritional security for, for, the, for the population. So I, I will stress that that is really key. On the issue of equity, are good because groundwater supply also, you find out that most of the, uh, of the users, they have their own private pumps, uh, mainly small pumps that are used, and these are pumps that are efficient and also in terms of uh, cost of, of uh, acquisition, they are, they are cheap. So uh, I, I don't think uh, actually use of groundwater, especially in pumps abstraction, is actually reducing that, that gap between uh, the men and the women uh, use in terms of, uh, uh, of access to irrigation facility. Thank you. But then I, yeah, what you said, I think, is makes all sense is all correct. We, we, we always think things happen automatically. But again, uh, when when there is a, you know, Africa Union, for example, last year was the Africa Union year on nutrition. So to what extent did the irrigation framework, the groundwater development uh, efforts of AMCAL, to what extent did they influence the Africa Union year of nutrition? Um, yeah, I think we have to be more more intentional. We have to talk to the nutritionists. We have to work um, with the health sector and, and, and nutrition and, and, and agriculture more so, I think, than we did in the past. I, I don't know. Is, is that, do you think, am I wrong here or do you think more, more linkages are needed? Uh, definitely. If I may more come to that, 
Oh. Okay, sure. Um, if that's okay with you, Murray, we move to Mojoud and then maybe go back to you after. Is that okay? Yes, okay, Mojoud. Yeah, Murray, continue. No, no, Mojoud, now it's over to you. You tell okay, us. Okay, uh, let, let, let me continue. I, I think from my own side, I think there should be cross sectorial discourse in terms of this nutritional values and how groundwater can contribute. I mean, we assume we we believe groundwater is of good quality, it can be used, but we've seen cases in India, part of India, part of Bangladesh, where arsenic has proved to be a dangerous uh, element in the water that affects the quality of the food product coming from it. So by the time we're able to talk to the nutritionalists, the soil scientists, and look at the other environmental dynamics of what are the farmers use in terms of a soil amendment, fertilizers or pesticide they use, how that is also going to affect the nutritional quality of the plant, of the vegetable. So we should not just live on the illusion that, okay, the groundwater quality is good, if you can use it to irrigate, but we might look into what other agricultural practices that could negatively affect the quality of the water. And this quality of the water can have impact in terms of uh, trophic transfer or bioaccumulation of some of the elements in the water into the plant. So I think that aspect needs some kind of cross-sectorial discourse to be able to factor all those things in. But the basic uh, understanding is that using groundwater now increase the food production, increase access to some of these uh, uh, vegetable products, especially in the very urban area, and of course, improve the quality of the food. But we need to look deeper as we expand this into those other environmental factors that might affect the quality of the water and the food product coming out of the irrigation land. Thank yeah. you. Exactly. Those are really great additional points of why water development needs to work with food security and nutrition experts. I'm just wondering to what extent it's happening. I think we understand something is happening without us doing anything. Um, sometimes we have a dialogue, but for example, Amkau, are you, do you have regular meetings with AUCs, nutrition uh, specialists? or do you plan to do that now that you have this accelerator program? I think that, you know, we talk about action. That's what Murray said. What's your action? Okay, it will be a further action. Thank you. <laughs> okay, great. I don't know, Murray, did you want to come back also maybe on the equity question? Because we know that richer farmers, male farmers, you know, are more likely to get faster access to larger pumps this is simply that we have the evidence there's always a question do we have the data yes we have the data we have the evidence women are less likely you know to get this nicer larger faster groundwater pumps uh the land is most often still uh you know owned by men 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 are more often on the land title than women and rural areas there's also no doubt about that so um, maybe back to more what are you doing about that to grow equity and access for poorer women farmers and other marginalized populations in rural Africa. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Claudia. Yes, on, on this issue of equity, I, I think uh, all across the continent, there, there, there's this major shift 
in terms of policies supporting women access to productive resources in agriculture. A very good example is, is in uh, uh, is Rwanda. Rwanda, in terms of access of women to productive right to land, educated land, in terms of policy prescription, there are values that to encourage women access productive land. But I think the move is general, though it is slow, but uh, that is the way to go. As you keep on, if the policy issue is, is clear and the institutions to support it is okay, I feel like it is an access for women. That gender justice must be taken into consideration because women are the, uh, the major producers of food and they are really doing fine. Thank you. Okay, now let's hear from Uganda. And by the way, unfortunately, we lost our panelists from Senegal. He lost his internet connection. But please, so everything is Julius. <laughs> we hear from you. Uganda, what are you doing? on ensuring that women farmers and marginalized groups also have access to all the groundwater that can be developed in the country. Julius. I cannot hear you, you're muted right now. Yes, yes thank you. Uh, yeah, Uganda, uh, thank you so much, Dr. Claudia. In Uganda to promote equity, I think uh, we are implementing uh, what we call catchment-based water resources management and development. Uh, the process is a little bit uh, wide. It involves all stakeholders in the catchment uh, coming together uh, planning together and developing the water resources together. So when we are doing that, uh, we are included in the planning and the development and in the management of water resources. Uh, the process is of course driven by the Minister of Water and Environment, but we ensure that it is stakeholder driven. We don't want to impose things that are not feasible in catchment. So in that actually, uh, we ensure that everyone is part of uh, at the development, but as well as the management of water resources. Thank hey, you. excellent. So maybe just a 30 second intervention from Hagar on uh, women and groundwater governance from your field work in Ethiopia or Ghana. And then we unfortunately have to come to closing, but Hagar, please. You muted. Here, is, is that fine now? Yes. Yeah, okay, great, thanks. Uh, yeah, let me uh, end with this interesting uh, uh, piece of data from our um, groundwater games analysis. Is that we saw that uh, the learning effect for um, collective action and like way, way of reducing uh, collective water use for groundwater and irrigation was actually a higher learning curve for women. So, so, so that is um, really good um, and definitely a call to, uh, to in invest more in this uh, as um, women are equally uh, good stewards of commons and resources. Um, but however, they, are, they seem to also be maybe less uh, exposed to uh, things like government programs such as the social um, soil water conservation and such, which which was through um, them not men, for example, were saying more, these are ways of improving access to groundwater and improving availability to groundwater is things like soil water conservation and afforestation and such. 
not as much, not as many women were saying that, and we think that it's because they were not really involved in these kinds of uh, government programs, or maybe not as aware. Okay. It's also a call for that. Thank you. Yeah, with that, uh, I'd like to close, I think, this extremely exciting set of panel discussions and presentations. And just to close, the UN 2023 Water Conference must result in bold water action, a bold water action agenda. And we all have to actually commit to something as part of this conference. And I'm committing here with, I guess, the AUC, AMCAL, um, also the irrigation program. I think they have told us uh, that they have committed to help increase sustainable groundwater development in Africa through scientific research and groundwater resources, the extraction, profitable management, and access by poorer water users, and to the development of groundwater governance systems that su support long-term sustainable use of groundwater resources on the continent. And I think everyone who participated in this event is also committing to supporting these efforts and very happy to help, and I'm sure with our audiences, we will get yet larger commitments to this. So with that, I'd like to just thank everyone again for participating today. If you do have time, and this is the week of UN Water 2023, there is a second uh, IFPRI event happening in 30 minutes um, at 10, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on localizing or downscaling water-related sustainable development goals. So if you are interested uh, in sustainable development goals, please join us again in 30 minutes. Thanks to everyone for participating and goodbye.